What we want to investigate today is a simple truth. The fact that it is not sexy to ask for help. It is hard, no matter who you are or what you want and what you're struggling with. But the truth is that none of us get through life without it in some way, shape, or form. So why is it that we hold it in such contempt? You know, aside from being worried about what others think, you know, we, of course, crave validation and status. And it's nice to try to be able to claim that we're a self-made man or a woman, you know, but that's the purest form of ego candy that really allows us to satisfy some kind of self-indulgent sweet tooth for this sense of security and control over our own lives or our perceived success or lack thereof. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me, and now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, it's Brett here, and I'm curious about something, if you'll entertain me for a moment. How many of these statements, if any at all, resonate with you? I know I have knowledge to share and a genuine desire to help others, but I still feel like an imposter. Who's going to care what I have to say? All right, on to the next one. I'm looking for the career I love doing, the thing that I'm great at, but also the thing that allows me to help more people and have a more sustainable future. I'm definitely grateful for the job that I have, but it just feels like I could be doing more. And the next, I know I love helping people, but I feel unclear as to what is the best path for me moving forward and how to get started. All right, two more, so stay with me. Paralysis by analysis is a real issue for me. I have a constant drive to improve myself so that I can be of more use to others, but I still cannot shake the feeling that I don't quite measure up or that my work will not be taken seriously. And the final one, I often question if I'm truly making the most of what I've been given and if I'm doing the right things to be successful. I just wanna know if I'm on the right track. Now, if any of them sound like you or somebody you know, there's something you need to know. We are hosting a free workshop soon that can get you past these sticking points, answer some of these questions, and help you navigate the things that you're on the fence about. So whether you're a salty veteran in your chosen field, whatever that field may be, who's seen just about everything come and go and you're tired and you want to get more involved, or an aspiring leader who doesn't want to be ignored or overlooked in a crowded market, head over to artofcoaching.com forward slash clarity. Again, that's artofcoaching.com forward slash clarity. Final time, artofcoaching.com forward slash clarity. I think you will like what we have to say. All right, with that out of the way, let's get into the episode. Quick one here. There's a story about one of my favorite historical figures, somebody who's on my short list, as in top five, that is, with respect to my answer. Anytime somebody asks me, if you could have lunch with one person dead or alive, who would it be? And that person, and again, it's one of those people, is Ben Franklin. 
And with a little bit of help from the legendary Maria Popova, author David McCraney, and even the work of Walter Isaacson, who wrote a tremendous biography on Franklin that I read last year, we're going to talk about some of these things. And we're going to talk about how this leads into why we struggle uh, to ask for help, but yet why some of the best leaders became really adept and adroit at it. And more importantly, what you can take from this to become better at asking for help and the right kind of help in the right way without it negatively impacting your relationships or your reputation for that matter. So what some may not know is that Franklin was born one of 17 children, one of 17 to poor parents. And as Popova put it, he entered this world despite his parents and society's priorities in his favor relative to his siblings. He had very low odds of becoming an educated scientist, a gentleman, a scholar, an entrepreneur, and and most of all, in her words, a man of significant political power. Now, to compensate for his unfavorable givens, he quickly learned a lot of really formidable people skills and became a master of the game of personal politics, something that we talk about a lot at Art of Coaching, because our goal is to help people deal with the messy realities of leadership and communication and coaching. So with that, you know, make sure that you have gone back or you do go back later and listen to the episodes where we talk about power dynamics and the leadership lie. That'll help. But author David McRaney writes, and these are all his words, like many people full of drive and intelligence born into a low station, Franklin developed strong people skills and social power. All else denied, the analytical mind will pick apart behavior, and Franklin became adroit at human relations. From an early age, he was a talker and a schemer, and a man capable of guile, cunning, and persuasive charm. He stockpiled a cachet of secret weapons, one of which was the eponymously named Franklin Effect, a tool as useful today as it was in the 1730s and still just as counterintuitive. Now, McRaney goes on to write, at age 21, he formed a club of mutual improvement called the Junto. And for those of you that are interested in this, I definitely recommend you check out Isaacson's book. But the Junto was a grand scheme by Franklin to really gobble up all kinds of knowledge. He invited working class polymaths like him to have the chance to pull together their books and trade thoughts and knowledge of the world on a regular basis and how they worked. They wrote and recited essays, they held debates, they devised ways to acquire uh, currency, and Franklin really used the Junto as his own private consulting firm, a think tank, so to speak. And he bounced ideas off the members so he could write and print better pamphlets and do a wide variety of things better. Well, he eventually found founded, rather, the first subscription library in America. Think about that, right? He founded the first subscription library in America, writing that it would make the common tradesmen and farmers as intelligent as most gentlemen from other countries. I mean, he was uh, an underdog through and through. And by the way, it, not to mention, and McCraney talks about this, it also gave him access to whatever books he wanted to buy. Now, Maria Popova goes on to talk about uh, when Franklin ran for his second term as a clerk, there was a peer whose name that he never mentioned in his autobiography. And I don't believe, although don't quote me on this, I can't remember when I read Isaacson's book, if they did find out the name at this point, but this individual delivered a long election speech that really went after Franklin. 
right? Really went after him, and, and the goal was to tarnish his, tarnish his reputation. And although Franklin won, he was really furious and angry with his opponent and observing that it was really a gentleman of fortune and education who might one day come to hold great power in government. You know, he was pretty concerned about this. This was a worthy adversary for somebody that was like Franklin that didn't have those benefits and that kind of power at the time. So Franklin, and I love the way they frame this, uh, they said the troll, he knew the troll had to be tamed and also tamed shrewdly. So McCraney went on to write, and please pay attention here because it speaks to a larger point we're going to dive into. Franklin set out to turn his hater into a fan, but he wanted to do it without really paying any servile respect to him. Now, those were Franklin's words. Franklin's reputation as a book collector and a library founder gave him a standing as a man of really discerning literary taste. So Franklin sent a letter to the hater asking if he could borrow a very specific selection or book rather from his library. And again, his is Franklin's opponent in this case, the one that really censured him and and went after him. And with this, it was a very scarce and curious book. So the rival flattered, sent it over to Franklin right away. And Franklin sent it back a week later with a thank you note. Mission accomplished, as McRaney put. The next time the legislature met, the man who had previously been Franklin's opponent approached him and spoke to him in person for the first time. Franklin said the man, even after, manifested a readiness to serve him on all occasions. So they became great friends, and that friendship continued to his death. Now, I, you know, Popova goes on to ask a great question. She says, you know, the pause should be, in what universe does inducing an opponent to do you a favor magically turn them into a supporter? And this, in turns out, shares a psychological basis with the why the art of asking is the art of cultivating community. And I have my own story, as I'm sure many of you do. I'll never forget, and I can't remember if it was two years ago or what have you, but I, you know, I don't really read Amazon reviews. Of course, you know, you take a peek here and there, um, and I'm grateful for everybody that does it. If you don't know how important those things are to authors, especially self-published authors, they're, they play a big role in the algorithm, right? Like if, if your book doesn't get reviews and honest reviews at that, Amazon just assumes nobody's really reading it and, and your books can get buried by that algorithm. So, you know, I'm jumping ahead here, but one area I don't hesitate to ask for help now is when people say they enjoyed the book, I say, hey, would you take a few moments and, and put an Amazon review on there? Because think about it, generally the only people that review unless they're asked are people that are really angry, right? Like think about the last time you really reviewed something. How often do you go and, and take your time to do that? And maybe you're somebody that does with some frequency, but the average person usually only goes through those steps if they're really angry. So, you know, in, in one situation I'd seen that my name popped up and somebody had said, you know, this book, it's not worth the hype. This guy's a cult leader, yada, yada. I mean, he also went after some comments that were really inflammatory towards my family. And I remember I, I happened to, it was one of the few people that actually left their name. And I knew somebody that knew this individual. So I know it sounds crazy, but I called him up. I called him up because that week I had just had enough of this kind of stuff. And I said, listen, you know, you're entitled to your own opinion. And I'm certainly, you know, I couldn't delete reviews if I wanted to. Amazon doesn't allow you to. I go, but I want you to know that my family saw this. And it was actually a family member of mine that, that told me about it because they were telling their buddy about a book. And you can have whatever opinion you want of my book, but to go after me and call me a cult leader and make comments about my family and, and other work when we don't even know each other, I got to ask what prompted this. 
And believe it or not, we went on to have an incredible discussion, an incredible discussion where he was just brutally honest, said that at one point in time, they wanted to write a book. They struggled with the idea of what was going on in their industry, but they didn't really put themselves out there. And they, they had this cognitive dissonance with, I want to do good, but I don't put myself out there. So I get angry when I see other people doing good who have put themselves out there. And it made sense. It made sense. And this person and I now have become great friends. When, when we, we have a lot of deeper conversations about one another's field or where we're at with things. And it's an example of that Ben Franklin effect. But, you know, we're not going to dive into the psychological nuances of it today. That's not what we're tackling. I just think that that is a great story to talk about, you know, somebody asking for help and, and especially in a situation that is not common. But what we want to investigate today is a simple truth. The fact that it is not sexy to ask for help. It is hard no matter who you are or what you want and what you're struggling with. And oftentimes to the untrained eye, we think that asking for help conveys weakness or a lack of fortitude on our part, a lack of intelligence, a lack of organization, maybe even all the above. But the truth is that none of us get through life without it in some way, shape, or form. So why is it that we hold it in such contempt? You know, aside from being worried about what others think, you know, we, of course, crave validation and status. And it's nice to try to be able to claim that we're a self-made man or a woman, you know, but that's the purest form of ego candy that really allows us to satisfy some kind of self-indulgent sweet tooth for this sense of security and control over our own lives or our perceived success or lack thereof, you know, and, and we chase these things, but it's time to get past it. You know, above my uh, right behind me in the desk, and I'm recording this, I have a, a really simple picture, and it has the African proverb that states, smooth seas don't make for skillful sailors. And with that same axiom in mind, it can be pretty tough, we know, to navigate a ship through a storm all alone. So I want to talk about this, and, and really what I've done is come up with some categories of common reasons why both myself and others that I know, because I talk to a large number of leaders from different fields, struggle asking for help. And the irony is, is when I was thinking of a topic to do for this week's episode, I asked a good friend, my friend John, for help and said, hey, what do you think about this? And he brought it up and I said, yeah, this is timely. So here are some of these categories. Make sure you get your pen and paper, by the way. One is embarrassment. It can be embarrassing to ask for help. I mean, simply put, we like to feel like, hey, uh, I... I got myself into this mess. I, I need to be able to get myself out of it. Or maybe you don't feel like it, it was a shared experience. Maybe you were in class with somebody or you were in the same conference room or you were on the same webinar or what have you, and you didn't understand a concept and somebody else did, or it seems like everybody else did, which again is a, a cognitive bias. Um, and we feel embarrassed if we have to ask. I mean, every kid that's ever gone to school knows what this is like. The teacher says, any questions? And you're like, hmm. I don't want to be that person, right? So embarrassment is, is straightforward. Another one that I think is not talked about often, and, and we were talking about this in our coalition group, is frustration, specifically frustration with others or past experiences. So let's say you own a business or you're leading a team, or it could be even within your own family. There are times, and I know I can relate to this, where you don't ask for help because you feel like if you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. And you've got, you came to that assertion because you've asked people for help in the past and they didn't do something with attention to detail or they skimped over some other aspect of it or it wasn't done on time. 
And that gets really frustrating. So you almost kind of feel like, well, I can't ask for help now, you know, because I just don't trust essentially. And, and we'll talk about why that's not awesome in its own right. But let me get through the categories so that nobody gets scatterbrained here. Another one is guilt. And this is probably number one for me. I don't ever want to feel like I'm a burden on somebody. I am so awful at asking for help. And that's whether it's, hey, remember to write a review for the book or send a review to the podcast or, you know, hey, word of mouth. I've, I've gotten better at it over the years as I've, as I've grown. But there were friends that when we launched courses or other things that would have been more than happy to put that stuff on their newsletter or would have been more than happy to come to one of our conferences or speak for our coalition group or what have you. And I just didn't ask because I felt like, you know, they got their own things. I mean, life is really hectic for all of us. Um, Our little one had a severe ear infection this week. And so there were two complete days where we got no work done. And on the day it happened, his temperature was near 105. We were driving from urgent care to urgent care. And believe it or not, nobody would see him because they either wouldn't treat a kid under two or they were at max capacity due to COVID. Ironic. You don't hear about that on the news, right? Like you hear about all this other useless stuff, but nobody says, Hey, by the way, if your child has a hemorrhage or (laughs) there's a fever or whatever, keep in mind, you might want to have a backup plan. You can't take them to these places. But I assume that everybody else has these kinds of things going on day to day. So I don't want to ask them for help. I don't want to be a burden. And I also assume that, you know, I know how easily people can get taken advantage of, especially if they have some kind of platform or a business of their own. There's always people, frankly, that ask you for handouts and, and you don't want to be lumped in with them. So I never want to be a burden. So, so far we've talked about embarrassment. You don't want to admit that you're struggling with something or that you don't understand something. Frustration. You don't want to ask for help because people have proven to not be all that helpful in the past. Guilt. You don't want to be a burden. And then even perceived power dynamics, meaning, uh, I'll, I'll use our, our mastermind group for, for example, There might be people that when I ask them for help, they think, well, you know, I don't know that I can help you because I come to you for help and and I come to you for help because you've got experience in other areas, but nothing could be further than the truth. I never look at myself as somebody that knows it all quite the opposite. And I'm just a guide on the side. I crave collaboration. I crave that. So, you know, I'm always asking, if you follow me on Instagram, I ask your thoughts on stuff. If, you follow, if you're in our mastermind, I ask. I, I always try to ask because I want help. I could care less if it's from a 13-year-old that knows coding. I want diverse uh, voices in our ecosystem. So, but there are some people that feel like, well, I, I couldn't possibly help that individual because, you know, they're, and it could even be an age thing. You know, there's plenty of people that could help up in age, down in age, you know, whether it's with technology or marketing or this or that or what have you. But we just, for whatever reason, think that we're not going to be that helpful. We underestimate our own influence and ability to help others. Now, there's two more, and of course, it's not an exhaustive list, but it helps at least you be able to use kind of this metaphorical compass to figure out where your main struggle is. There's perfectionism, and if you listen to our episode on imposter phenomenon, you know that we have this PDF that talks about uh, the, the five different types of frauds that you can feel like, and a lot of people don't ask for help. Because they feel like, well, if I'm smart enough or if I have this job or if I'm the expert or whatever it is, I should be able to do it myself. And that's, that's just false. You know, like no, nobody always comes to these, you know, whatever that situation or answer is 
by themselves. We all kind of use borrowed thoughts. Like I'm, I'm giving you some content early on through the storytelling of Maria Popova and, and other authors and what have you. And that's fine. Like what, what matters is how you shape these things, you know, give credit where credit is due and then shape them. But if you think an expert has to be a lone ranger, it's just such, it's so wrong. And then rejection, of course, we hate, we hate rejection. It, 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 gets kind of scary in a way. And if you don't like that term, I'm sorry, use whatever term you want, but we, we don't really want to be rejected on things. And so I think when you think about this, there's some stuff I want to tell to help you. And then hopefully those categories help you, but you know, we often underestimate why you shouldn't be worried about asking for help is we often underestimate how likely others are to help us. You know, we think that uh, people, will just only help us if they feel bad or they're pressed to do it or what have you. But you got to understand this and shout out to Stephanie Seeley, you know, for really talking about this. You know, when, when you think about, well, you know, if you judge yourself for wanting help, how can you ever really help others? I mean, think about that. If you're like, well, I'm dumb or I'm whatever, because I, I want help yet. You're somebody that jumps at the opportunity to help others anytime there, there's a thing, there's, there's a disconnect there, right? There are a lot of people that want to help. And there's also people that probably don't know you need help. And they also don't know, finally, what would, cons- what would be considered most helpful to you. And this is, again, that goes back to what we preach at Art of Coaching, the importance of clarity and conciseness in how you communicate. I'm going to say this again. People often want to help. And they, they're ready, but they don't know you need help. Also don't know what would be considered helpful to you. So, you know, you need to make your message clean and clear. And if you do that, it enhances the chances of people being able to help you. And I, I, I think one other thing I want to say, and it's a little soapboxy, is if you're general in your request for help, even if you do ask it, the advice is going to be general. And I call this the DM effect. When I get DMs on social media, very often it's general questions. Hey, Coach Brett, what path should I take in my career? Hey, Coach Brett, how can I get this person to buy in? Hey, Coach, how could I build this brand? Or hey, Coach, how did you write your book? Hey, Coach, how did you... And, and it's it's tough, guys, because... You, I never want to come off as crass and rude, but on the other hand, the teacher in me doesn't want to, to facilitate learned helplessness, right? And, and it's this fine line between sometimes the people don't know what they don't know and, and should you guide them and say, hey, you know, I, I want to help, but I'm not really clear. Sure, but you can't do that hundreds of times, you know, a day. And so I just want to give advice. If you are somebody that, that asks for help and you're like, hey, yeah, it's uncomfortable, but you know, I, I ask people for help all the time, whether it's what books to read or, or questions about my career or, or when it's time for a change, I'm going to tell you that if you're reaching out to people and you're not being specific, you are going to have to be prepared for, for bad advice or at least general advice. And, and that's because, again, if, if somebody doesn't have a specific question, I kind of think this, right? And I've talked to other coaches that feel this way as well. If somebody asks a broad question, I tend to think, well, do they really know what they want? Are they assessing this through a clear lens because they're not, they're not being specific? It seems like, you know, imagine that. Imagine if you say, hey, Brianna, I would like to meet up with you for a cup of coffee and pick your brain. You think that you're saying, I'd like to meet up. I respect you. I'll buy you coffee. This will be great. 
But Brianna may think, and she'd be right to like, wait a minute, like I, time out. I, I don't know you. And, and why the offer of coffee is really nice. What are we going to talk about? Right? Like Brianna's time is valuable and I'm making this, this person up, but it, it's very different. If somebody says, Hey, I'm in town. I'd like to meet you, you know, wherever you're at. And, and I have specific questions on how to get this kind of prototype up and running. This is what I built. This is where my struggles were do you have 40 minutes to, to take, right? Like that's a very different thing. And here's the other thing. When you make your message clean and clear, when you're asking for help, you've, you've been very clear about the context, what you want help with all these things. It actually builds credibility. I look at somebody that says, Hey coach, I'm having this problem, right? And they lay it out specifically. And I've referenced previous resources you put out, but where I'm struggling is matching blank with blank. Now, the cynic here would be like, well, you just like that because it shows they bought your resources or engaged with them. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that just like you can't go into a doctor and say, hey, doctor, I have this sniffles, but by the way, that doctor has no idea of your medical history. They don't know what you're allergic to. Like, what do you expect them to do? They're just going to ask you more questions, and it's just a waste of time. If you're going to ask for help, you need to honor the other person's time, man, and so you know, when somebody thinks about these things, I think, wow, this is a credible, thoughtful person. I'm more likely to not only help them, but also open up my contact book and, and, and these kinds of things to say, if I can't help them, who can? So I want to make it clear, right? It, yes, it is very, very hard to ask for help. I recognize that. I deal with it too. It's, it's not easy. Um, there's lots of reasons it occurs. And I talked about those categories. There's things that we don't consider. Generally, people want to help but you're probably just not good at, at being specific enough with that help, or at least you know somebody that isn't. And it's worth remembering that the best leaders are not afraid to ask for help. There's innumerable examples throughout history, but they also think about all the other things that comes. So I, I want to make that clear before we move on, that if you do get past those other barriers and you then ask for help, don't be general. That makes it so difficult and you're just going to get general, the, the heuristic is being general makes it more difficult for somebody else to be generous. Being general makes it more difficult for somebody else to be generous because you're just expecting them to figure it out. And you can't do that. You can't go and ask somebody for their time or their advice and then make them do the fact finding. You need to do the research. Um, and also I'll say this, you know, when, if it does help any of you that feel like you're struggling with this, you know, if, if you do come generally and let's say we are able to meet up or you're able to meet up with a desired mentor of yours, what you tend to do if you're not very specific on what you're having issues with is you leave that mentor or that person feeling like they're not really sure if they helped because you, you talked about so many things and you picked their brain on like 30 different topics. They don't really know, like, did I solve a specific problem for that person? And, th and that goes into our, our previous episode, right? Niches versus range and, and what have you. And they can both be good for their own reasons. But if I answer 30 questions, I, I guess I feel useful, but I'm always thinking, are they going to apply any of that? And there's data to suggest they don't. Most people, when they do ask for advice, don't even take that advice. And if they do, they absorb it, but they don't act on it. I mean, there are people I've watched it go down where I've introduced people to somebody else. And then I say, Hey, how'd that go? And they said, well, you know, I, I wanted to give it a week or two. I, I didn't want to like come off as desperate or needy. And I said, dude, no, 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 no. Like 
memory is short and that person's life is crazy. They may not remember you or the context in which you met. If they, if they gave you their contact and they were willing to meet, you take advantage of that in a respectful way. I don't mean take advantage of them, but you take advantage of that opportunity. Don't wait, right? Don't wait. So another reason it pays to be specific is you want to make sure that that other person feels like, yeah, yeah, that was, that was useful. Uh, so we talked about why, you know, when you get over this, how it can help build credibility. You've thought about things through both sides. You've done your research and all that. Uh, and, and that can really be an issue. So I want to encourage you guys, like, get past this because most people are more than happy to help. If nothing else, it goes to that one rule that people love to talk about themselves. And I know I'm guilty of this. When somebody asks me for help, I always try to come with a story of how I struggled with that or how I can relate. Not to hear myself talk, but to help build that relatability of saying, hey, I hear you, I see you, and I'm not you, but let me walk you through how I dealt with this and maybe it gives you an answer. Um, It just does get sad sometimes where I think it's the reverse. I've gotten better at asking for help where I struggle is giving help because so many people don't know what they want help with. It feels like you always let them down. I mean, I have gone as far as creating links for specific things, whether it's intern guides and reading lists or what have you. And while 90% of people are, are really like, Oh, this is great. There's people that are like, well, you didn't tell me which one. And well, wait, what about this? And, and that's where we've got to bring back this sense of, of realism. We've got to bring this sense of realism, but you certainly should not struggle because you feel like you, uh, you know, are going to bother somebody or that, you know, any number of these things. Remember you're wise because you're imperfect. You're strong because you have doubts, but your or our ability to make an impact atrophies if we don't learn how to ask for help. So let me consolidate some of these things before we wrap. We've gotten over the many reasons people don't ask. When you do ask, be specific. Make sure you're reaching out to the right person for that situation. Fit is important. Tell them what you're struggling with and give them any other research that you've done around that so they have an understanding of your thought process. Please do not send somebody an eight-paragraph email or a multi-paragraph DM or something like that. This goes back to our episode on finding a mentor. You have to choose the right medium. Um, I, I would also encourage against this. I have a close friend I talked to the other day who got a hate email from somebody because they said they had sent them 15 DMs and they never answered Eventually, they found their email and, and wrote them in and just said, you've never answered and yada, yada. This person said, I don't, I don't check my DMs regularly, right? This is like the people that spam on LinkedIn and then they wonder why you didn't connect. And it's like, well, we don't know each other. Um, you know, so make sure that you choose the appropriate medium. You come with a specific question. You talk about what of their work they're familiar with. Because again, what that says is, hey, I'm reaching out to you for a reason, and I'm familiar with your work because I have enough respect for you to look at your previous work. Otherwise, why are you reaching out to them to begin with? Here's where I'm struggling. Could you help me in this area? You know, uh, I think another time and true or time tested method is reciprocity. You know, I we have a certain amount of events per year that I'm able to do pro bono work for, and the best people in my network don't even make me ask for help in return. They anticipate it. They're intuitive. And they say, hey man, you know, thanks for doing that. When this comes out, let us know. We'll share it with our list. You have to meet people in the middle, but there are a lot of people, and, and I encourage you guys to also go back and listen to the weaponization of guilt. 
be very careful of the people that say, hey, would you do this? And and there's nothing in return in terms of like even an acknowledgement of that where they say, well, no, we just thought you might do it for the right reasons. Because what you do, guys, if you're somebody that asks for help, you get that help, but you don't intuit what somebody else might need or you at least don't even go down that path with them is you just ensure you're not gonna have a repeat relationship there. And that's the most important thing that matters in, in leadership. And I'm not saying that everything has to be reciprocity focused. I mean, in my mind, being a Midwesterner, that's where I go, but it just doesn't mean that you show up for people. You show up for people. And if you don't know how, you figure that out and you just try, you know, but you've got to get better at asking questions. You've got to think about what they're, what, what they may need so, you know, come with your homework done, make sure that you've taken an interest in that other person's life, find a medium that's suitable for that, be patient with them, and understand that half the things you're worrying about that other person's not even thinking, if you come with all these things done and you've checked all the boxes we've talked today, you're going to come across as a credible professional who's curious, thoughtful, intuitive, and is dedicated on improving. I hope that helps. We wanted to make this quick. I hope you utilize this, please. We do these podcasts every week nearly because we want you to apply this. So apply this today. Think about where you are struggling, why you're struggling. Look at the last four or five people you've asked for help and how you've done that. And don't beat yourself up for it. Like forgive yourself, it's okay. Like we all learn, but be better about it going forward. And share this with somebody else, please. We need better communicators and and just more thoughtful, respective people out there in, in every field. All right, guys. If you want more on these things, like I said, make sure to go to artofcoaching.com forward slash clarity. I think you're really gonna love this. We're very excited about it. I'm not trying to be cryptic. We just have something that that is really based on helping people get unstuck, figuring out their competitive advantage, and like I said, getting off the fence so you can make an impact. I appreciate you always. Brett Bartholomew for The Art of Coaching, signing off.